what it be, what it do. You're welcome. This is the Big Dudes in the Trenches podcast, and we have plenty of news to get through. We have some great collegiate and NFL action to review, and we're getting ready for a whole new episode of Bracket Time. But first, we gotta let out those sneezes because, you know, I tr- I tried not to. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I tried to hit the mute button. <laughs> so that's Tug, and that talking there is Bug, and we have a whole crew assembled. So <laughs> let's get rolling. Let's do it. <laughs> so as you all know, first and foremost, this is a Chicago Bears podcast. That's all we do around here. We have to talk about Justin Fields. <laughs> Probably had his most successful game yet, and the Bears still lost pretty badly. Um, I gotta say that's probably about the best case scenario, though, right? You get a guy you can believe in as your franchise quarterback, and yet everyone's still aware this is a rebuild, and you probably get a new coach. Yeah, I mean, Matt Nagy wasn't even around last week at all to coach uh, because of COVID. And look at how the offense performed this week. Probably the best performance all around by Justin Fields, over 270 total yards with two touchdowns. Uh, Could have had a third touchdown pass that was dropped in the end zone. I I don't see how the Bears keep Matt Nagy around the rest of the year, except for the fact that Virginia McCaskey is a very nice lady. But that's really all this comes down to. And, I still firmly respect that they didn't fire anybody after co- you know the COVID-19 season. To me, the teams that were able to navigate that well, there's a little bit of luck involved in that, right? Those completely un- uncharted waters. At the same time, we already pretty much knew what Matt Nagy was, who Matt Nagy was when it comes to the Bears. We being really anybody that's watched football, you know, he won coach of the year and just hasn't been able to ever adjust. I I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. He's probably going to get to finish the year out. That's just how the Bears work. Justin Fields hopefully won't get, you know, won't go backwards too much. But again, look at the game he had two weeks ago compared to this past week and look at how I was able to rebound. I'm not too worried about Matt Nagy ruining him, honestly. If you want more riveting Bears content like that, I'm sure you can go check out our website, bdtfootball.com, and find all of Bugs' incredible blogs. But let's stick on this quarterback news train here for a second. We got two injuries, and they're pretty important ones. Uh, Jameis Winston's probably done for the rest of the season. Kyler Murray, we don't know how long he's going to be injured for. What do you mean, probably? If, if he's playing on a torn ACL, if he's playing on a torn ACL, MCL, Jesus Christ has returned and we're all screwed anyway. Like It's bad. He's hurt bad <laughs> enough and the Saints are good enough that Philip Rivers has said he's willing to come out and play for the Saints. But I'll tell you what, with the way Trevor Simeon was able to come in and effectively help lead the Saints to a win. Oh, and by the way, Taysom Hill, their other quarterback that they, you know, the, that whole debate in the offseason, who's going to be QB1, he's going to be coming back from concussion any week now. This hurts Jameis Winston more than it hurts the Saints. Isn't Trevor Simeon that six foot seven dude got drafted by the Broncos? 
No, he's not six foot seven. I don't think he did play for the Broncos and he got drafted or ended up on the Broncos the same year. Six foot seven Paxton Lynch got drafted. All right. That's that's what I'm thinking of then. Six foot seven, dude. Drafted <laughs> by the Broncos. Yeah, he ended so up I mean, playing six, over. three. OK, yeah. I was looking because you said Philip Rivers was interested in the job. And I'm like, wait, he's a high school coach. He can't be, you know, ready to come in to an NFL job. Well, his high school team season is done. Because they were mediocre at best. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess he's free free now for the next few months. Wouldn't that be incredible if he comes out of retirement to go win the Super Bowl this year with the Saints? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Really changes the uh, Hall of Fame conversation for Philip Rivers at that point. <laughs> sure would. Let's go the only thing about. I know for sure is that the Saints clearly have the Bucks number. Except in the playoffs. Big facts. Yeah. <clears throat> Let's go ahead and talk about wide receivers for a second now. Calvin Ridley is taking the Simone Biles route and uh, focusing on his mental health. So that's cool for Falcons fans, I'm sure. Love that one. I mean, that's if he's actually struggling mentally, like that's that's huge, and I'm glad he's doing it. Get yourself right before you can can get back on the field, play the game. No, I definitely agree, but it's still just. Really weird. It's this is uh, uncharted waters. At least he didn't pull a Von. At least he didn't pull a Von Davis and retire at halftime. True. True. He did retire before the game, so that's an improvement. <laughs> um, <laughs> we do have to talk about Henry Ruggs for a little bit here. Um, developing story a little bit, but Bug, you want to take the details here? Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. Uh, he was arrested for a DUI causing involving a death, causing a death, uh, which carries a penalty of two to twenty years in Nevada. Uh, because I'm sorry. He, he, you said two to twenty years in Nevada. Yes, yes. and it just <laughs> sounds like it's not even two to twenty years in prison. It's just you're sentenced to live in Nevada for two to twenty years. <laughs> I mean, Jesus. Uh, Which, anyway, what's the difference? <laughs> he, he's being charged with DUI causing resulting in a death, causing a death, whatever the terminology is here. Uh, but it's not quite that simple. It's it seems pretty cut and dry. He said when the cop showed up, he seemed dazed out of it because he had just caused an accident that resulted in a massive fireball. His girlfriend was also in the car, and that's where things kind of get interesting. <laughs> Uh, based on the video uh, of the aftermath of the wreck, of the massive fire that was caused there, there's reason enough to believe that potentially it was his girlfriend driving and not him, and he's covering for him, for her, sorry. So really, there's not too many good ways around this. There's no way to really prove that she was driving one way or another. I don't know. It's it's not good for Henry Ruggs right now. That development when it broke into the news that it might have been his his girlfriend could have been one of a couple of things that makes this really interesting for me. Again, I'm interested in a lot of the legal stuff on the side. One, if she was driving, then he's innocent. Like you said, Ben, he's covering for her. that. That's a whole different argument. That is a possible outcome. The other thing is, it's not uncommon 
for these NFL players as rookies to get a recommendation from their agent. Like, hey, dude, get a lawyer on retainer just in case something happens. He hired the best DUI lawyers in Las Vegas. No, absolutely. And even with that, I don't one, I don't blame him Two, even with that. If they immediately those lawyers found out that somebody else was in the car and they somehow got it out into the news because they can that she might have been driving. That might be all he needs in any type of criminal case. Like, I hate to say it, but that's how it works, because now the burden is on the prosecution to go and prove that he was, in fact, the one driving. And that's going to be short of red light cameras or anything else, which do exist now. So it is possible. But, man, that's that's going to be a hard hill to climb. It's a fantastic defense if that's what it is. But I hope to God it's the truth. But if it's a defense, it is absolutely the best defense you could have right now. Too bad he wasn't using USAA's Safe Pilot app because, man, it can always tell when I'm the one driving or not, and it's freaky, and I don't know how. That might be a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about running back injuries now for a second. Derrick Henry is out six to ten weeks. Apparently six is very uh, optimistic. Very optimistic. Yeah. yeah. Most likely outcome here is he's going to be out for eight weeks, which would put him out for the rest of the regular season. And in his absence, the Tennessee Titans have signed Adrian Peterson. Hey, Bennett's team finally listened to you and went and, go, went and picked up an old running back off free agency. When you're looking around free agency or the trade market, nobody really compares to Derrick Henry. But if you're going to find somebody that's close, it's probably Adrian Peterson. Well, that's probably true 10 years ago, but this is 35-year-old Adrian Peterson. I, I, I couldn't tell you who their backup is in Tennessee, but what I can tell you is that he's probably good enough that Adrian Peterson's only going to need to be called on in situations where you'd need something fantastic to happen, right? He wasn't good enough to keep a job in Washington because of the guys that were behind him. But there's nobody really else in Tennessee. Derrick Henry is one of the few guys left in the league that's able to run it every single down for his team. I don't know that Adrian Peterson is going to be able to do that, but I think as part of a rotation, he'll be very effective. And the thing with it, too, is he might have lost a step or two, but even the last few times that I've seen Adrian Peterson play, he still has that elusivity that marked his game it's a very different run style than derrick henry it's not a i'm gonna punch you in the face granted derrick henry can also cut back and break your ankles too but derrick henry's more of the drop the shoulder and run through you adrian peterson's gonna run away from you and he does that very very well he's more of an elusive back than he should be for his size derrick henry honestly it's yes really taken the last couple of years for him to drop the shoulder at all and that's when we've seen him Start to become this most successful. Start Um, pushing records, yeah. Right. The Titans' backup running back, by the way, is Darrington Evans, former Appalachian State running back. He's also on the IR. So their third-string running back, plus Adrian Peterson, is going to have to do the trick for Tennessee for the rest of the regular season. They are in a good position for the playoffs still, though, especially holding a two-game advantage over the Indianapolis Colts head-to-head. So uh, there's no way the Jaguars or the Texans really compete for the division. So 
Having that two-game advantage over the Colts helps a lot. And then... Um, they still have to play the Texans one more time, too. So that's a win. <laughs> and Jacksonville. I think they still have Jacksonville twice, if I'm not mistaken. So that's three wins. <laughs> the Titans are in good shape. <laughs> um, let's go ahead and talk about, for a second here... Uh, we already mentioned Trevor Simeon, how good of a performance he had in relief of the injured Jameis Winston. But let's talk about Mike White for a second, because the dude set some franchise records, basically. And Zach Wilson is supposed to be your future, right? Mike White's already locked in the starting gig for this Thursday night game. They couldn't turn around Joe Flacco fast enough, so I had to give this guy his first ever start, and he throws for 405 yards. And looks very efficient doing it, too. Why this even bother is, with Joe Flacco at this point? Right. This is 100% news I did not want to see as a Miami fan. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to talk about it. Let's just move on. Well, we will in just a second, but I do want to talk about the implications of – what does that do to a locker room if Mike White is successful on Thursday? If they win Thursday, Mike White throws for 300-plus yards again, or even 400-plus yards again somehow. How in the world can you go back to Zach Wilson this season? Uh, it's... Okay, so I'm, I'm going to do this, what I, like to, what I like to say with all these situations when backup quarterbacks come in, and we saw it two times this weekend, and they absolutely light it up, right? Do you guys remember way back in the day, Green Bay was sitting their starters in week 17 and Matt Flynn came in and threw for like seven or eight touchdowns? Okay. Yeah, he got a massive contract off that game too. Against against yes. the team that wasn't going to the playoffs? Right. Yes. It, here's, but, but here's the difference. But here's the difference. If it's Mike White's first start like it was, you don't know how to game plan against that. You don't know how he reads the ball. You don't have the film on it. It it can entirely change your defense. That's. I agree with you. I yeah. will say though, I'm I'm not saying this one game locks him in as your long term starter. I'm saying if he does it two games in a row, you have to actually consider starting him for a third game, and then you have to consider starting him for a fourth game, right? And it's just it's going who, to build who, on itself if Mike White can they, keep this up is all. Who are they playing on Thursday? The Colts. That's irrelevant, though, because they went into this game playing the AFC leaders in the Cincinnati Bengals. And especially I, when you're talking about your comparison of Matt Flynn, he played against a team that wasn't going to the playoffs. Okay, but to Tug's like, point, they, the, uh, you, to you point a, he played a very different game than Zach Wilson does. Right. And the Bengals were preparing for Zach Wilson, not Mike White, who nobody can possibly prepare for. Right. So I understand you, where Tug's coming from here. And yes, okay, that's true. But you also got to look at the game that Michael Carter III had. It's not, or Michael Carter Jr., sorry. It's not like he had a bad game either. They were true. able to do a lot more than just have Mike White sling the ball around, right? This was a total team win, and that it took Mike White to help them get over the Bengals. Nobody saw that coming, and nobody's even going to expect that to come. Where was this dude even at before this week? They thought so little of him, they brought Joe Flacco in and tried to get him ready for this game. And where I come from is kind of to Doug's point. 
I'm looking at the next couple weeks to see what he does because now the Colts have tape on him. The reason I asked what team it plays week one. Yeah. It, it doesn't help when you're playing a top team in your division. Cool. I, I agree there, but now the Colts, they're not a slouch in the secondary. They're not fantastic. They're kind of a middling secondary team with a, an okay pass rush. I'm looking to see what the Colts now are able to do with the film on Mike white. Like that's, that's where I was going with, with that. It's not like if they were playing the Texans, I'd write it off immediately. Although the Texan secondary has been okay. If they're playing like the Jaguars teams like that, even Miami, honestly, our secondary has been trashed this year, right? It's you, you got to keep in mind that yes, he is proving something. Can he continue it? I'm looking to see the matchup to see if I expect him to continue it or not. I'm expecting to come back to an average week. I'd probably give him about 200 yards. I just want to say that the odds are not in Mike White's favor. But at the same time, it would be absolutely incredible if another AFC East team finds a day three gem at quarterback, builds a dynasty out of him. We can we can move on now. <laughs> a, a day three gem that they picked up from the Cowboys. Right. Who also apparently have no shortage of good quarterbacks in their locker room. Speaking of Cooper Rush, <laughs> our other quarterback story here. I think the um, most amazing thing here is that for the first time in NFL history, the first name of the quarterback was the same as the last name of the receiver he threw a touchdown pass to. Talking about Cooper Rush to Amari Cooper. And last year, Andy Dalton has the same last name as the receiver's first name, and that was Dalton Schultz, and he threw a touchdown to him. And the Cowboys are having all this name luck and all this luck at quarterback. Where was Cooper Rush last year? Was he still in college? Because if they'd have had him, maybe they have a shot at making the playoffs. I think he has a much more realistic possibility of maintaining success than Mike White does. Because let's be real, there's, I don't, the biggest thing, the most confusing thing about Mike White is there's nobody else on that offense. Now, Cooper Rush has been with the Cowboys since 2017. Yep. Uh, so. I don't know what they were doing. I don't think he took a snap at all last year. They went from no. Dak to Dalton uh, to some dude that played in the AAF. I can't think of his name right now. Like, never even looked at going to Cooper Rush. And he didn't really have that great of a game. It was just good enough to beat the Vikings, which, let's be real, you and I could put together a game just good enough to beat the Vikings. The NFC North is pretty fucking awful. I mean, the Vikings are just bad enough to lose to everybody. <laughs> 24 for 40 for 325 isn't terrible. It's not good either. If that was your starter going forward, you'd be like, man, you got to pick it up. But, you know, we're expecting Dak to come back probably next week. So, especially, yeah, especially with the numbers you look at, Dak was putting up. You got to be a little concerned if you're a Cowboys fan that coming off of a bye week, Dak's Prescott still wasn't able to go. But at the same time, we are talking about the Vikings. Cooper Rush was able to do enough. No reason to really risk it in a game that doesn't matter. They're going to win the NFC East by a mile. They're probably not going to get home field advantage over the Rams, let alone the Bucks. Like the, it's really a three-team race, and I don't see them being able to beat either of those two teams out. Well, and the Packers are seven and one, and so are the Cardinals right now. So, I I don't uh, think either of those will last. But I'm saying there's a lot of teams ahead of the Cowboys still. I, 
I think the Cowboys are absolutely better than the Packers. The Cardinals, I don't know. The, you it's think everybody's depend. better than the Packers. So No, I, I – <laughs> it's not even me just disliking the Packers. There's too many holes in their game. And the Cardinals okay. had a worse game last week. That's all, you know. Anyway, we are recording this show on Tuesday, if you can't tell by some of the breaking news already, instead of our usual Monday, partially because the trade deadline was Tuesday. So we have some trades to talk about here. Obviously, the biggest one, Von Miller going to the Los Angeles Rams. I'm excited for him. I think this is a great way to wrap up a career. You know, you win a championship for the team that drafted you. What more can they ask for? Send you off for... Right. And then send you off to a place where you can win out the rest of your maybe two years left, really, in the NFL. I mean, Von Miller's been on the decline a little bit here. He's still putting up decent numbers, though. And with this move, you have to think the Rams are at least even odds with the other Super Bowl favorites, right? To me, that would put them roughly even with the Bucks at the moment. With the picks that the Rams have given up for different players this year, they absolutely are in a win now mode. And I think the biggest thing that we kind you know kind of tap danced around here with Vaughn Miller, he's not going to have to play every down. Leonard Floyd right. has really shown that the bears were dumb for getting rid of him and Vaughn Miller being the guy that he's in a rotation with terrifying. Gosh, imagine Not to Von mention, Miller opposite Aaron Donald. Well, and Jeez. then even, even more say Vaughn Miller gets in shape or says, Hey, playoff time. I want to be in every single down. You can just push Aaron Donald inside, right? Now you got Aaron Donald, Leonard Floyd and Vaughn Miller. What are you going to do? And that's Good probably guy. the, the best defensive line in a 3-4 I've ever heard of. Mm-hmm. I think we should keep it with the Rams for right now, too. They had talked earlier that they were seeking a partner for Deshaun Jackson. They weren't able to find anybody, and he, you know, it, it was a conversation between him and the Rams. He wanted out. They, they said, okay, yep, we'll look to try and trade you. He's been waived. A little morbid. I think the Raiders got to be looking into this one. They're the first team that comes to my mind, honestly, uh, when talking about where he could possibly go. I imagine by the end of the week, we'll know a landing spot for Deshaun Jackson. I don't think he's done yet. No, we'll actually know tomorrow, I believe, if anybody claimed him off waivers. I think it's a one-day turnaround on waivers. So those claims would have had to be in. I don't know how the NFL determines priority. I think it's based on your league standing. So it'll be interesting to see where he ends up because he doesn't even have a say right now. Yeah, and he's still putting up some numbers early in the season, so I'm sure somebody will want him. You know, somebody needs depth. Everybody needs depth. What are we talking about here? Uh, Speaking of depth, (laughs) a couple other trades here. Melvin Ingram to Kansas City for a sixth-round pick. Interesting move for them. I don't really know what Melvin Ingram brings to this defense that they didn't have, honestly. Just a rotational edge rusher for him, I guess. I was going to say a pass rush. Well, they were supposed to have had that already. So I guess, yeah, maybe getting somebody new in the rotation helps things out. <laughs> uh, Charles Amenahu going to Houston, from Houston to San Francisco, my bad. Uh, Charles Amenahu has really had his best season, I thought, this year so far. So going to San Francisco is interesting. He's not, like, great, though. So. <laughs> the rotational linebacker. This 
was not the trade everybody expected to come out of Houston. Um, right. And it and it frustrates me because it means I have to go another few months with the speculation that this trade's going to happen in the offseason. Um, I hate hearing about it in the news. Hopefully it dies down for a few weeks. It probably will. Uh, but again, this morning, news broke out that Deshaun Watson will only accept a trade to Miami. I don't know why he keeps highlighting us. It's really frustrating. But what that absolutely did is it absolutely destroyed all of Houston's leverage. So at this point, I have to think he's being a little petty and trying to kind of stick it to Houston just a little bit. Um, because now Miami knows there's absolutely no way that Houston's going to eat the $35 million in cap space for him next year for him not to play. There, It just it doesn't make sense. So now coming into the offseason, there's no reason for Miami to even offer what Houston's been asking for because Houston's the one that will get screwed in the end if this deal doesn't go through. So Watson is putting them up against the wall, and it's a bad situation. I'm just frustrated that we have to keep talking about it, you know, at the start of the offseason. Well, I'm surprised we talked about it here. I wasn't going to bring it up, but you did, so that's all good. <laughs> I I, ne- I needed to. I absolutely needed to. <laughs> Fair. I know. It's certainly certainly a topic of conversation. Uh, there was also speculation that Christian McCaffrey was going to get moved, not only because of the rumors linking him to the Sean Watson trade, but also because, I mean, the Panthers need a regular, consistent running back, and Christian McCaffrey hasn't necessarily been that. But when he's on the field, man, he is something else. So he's, there's still plenty of interest in Christian McCaffrey around the league. Would have been interesting. Didn't happen. None of the other moves that did happen are all that worth talking about, not going to lie. So, uh, sorry if you're one of those players and I just dissed you, but I doubt you're listening to us. So, that's another great reason to spread the news about Big Dudes in the Trenches podcast. Get us in the ears of the people who (laughs) who we're shitting on. (laughs) So they can come on the show and debate us about why we are wrong. Exactly. (laughs) <laughs> so very eventful except unless you're like a bears fan i guess where you said you were going to be aggressive and they just didn't do anything so that's always cool or if you're a giants fan where you thought evan ingram was definitely on the move and then you know apparently none of the trade offers were real so that's cool too love that <laughs> did he not move he did not no. Um, plenty wow. of speculation that Odell Beckham Jr. was going to get traded. His dad was posting Instagram videos talking about how he wants to get out of this Baker Mayfield crap offense. And uh, Odell's not moving. So plenty of speculation, not plenty of moves. Kind of a dud. You know what's not a dud is our next little segment here, college news. I could spend 45 minutes talking about some of the stuff we have coming up on our college news. We need to talk about what all's going down with the Conference USA because this has not been a good past couple of weeks for them. So it's official now that Marshall is leaving for the Sun Belt. It has been approved by the board of directors and the state of Virginia that James Madison is going to explore a move to the FBS to join the Sun Belt. Very exciting for the fun belt there. Also for Conference USA, though, Western Kentucky and Middle Tennessee State are joining the MAC 
at least reported that's not official yet, should be by the end of this week, though. This means the Mac has just expanded to Nashville. Very exciting for the Mac. I'm sure that's going to help them out quite a bit for multiple reasons, not least of which is TV money. But you also have to consider CUSA just lost, what, their biggest market left? (laughs) This is really rough. Yeah. Yeah, I, so, as I always do, and I'll remind you all later in the show as well, I always post about the Bears and my weekly reactions to how they played. When you're hearing this on Wednesday, it won't be up yet, but on Thursday I do have an article coming out, a blog coming out, about how the American Athletic Conference was saved by poaching teams from Conference USA. I thought then, when I wrote it, I've had it in the can for about a week and a half here, but when I wrote it, I thought Conference USA was cooked. This all but confirms it. Even if they are able to get the couple of teams that they're talking about bringing in, they're not going to have enough teams to survive without bringing in a ton of FCS talent. If I'm being honest, what I would much rather see is just see the Missouri Valley Conference go up to the to the F- FBS. I almost call it Division 1A. I don't know. It's it's not a good time for Conference USA. Frankly, and I've said it before, I don't feel bad because it's a horrible run football conference, in my opinion. If you think SEC refs are bad, watch a Conference USA game. I promise you, you'll think the SEC has the best refs on the planet after that. And I'll say it, too, if just because you brought it up here, if the Missouri Valley Conference isn't at least exploring the idea of moving the entire conference up to the FBS, I I don't know what they're doing. I understand that they're all the tops of the FCS and they're going, you know, that's where all their money is, all that stuff. But if you can bring the entire conference up and replace what was a crappy conference with an even better conference, that is a win all around. The TV money should be there for it. There is enough market out there for it. The only challenge there is they will be competing with the Mountain West and with the uh, the MAC for those TV markets, but these aren't bigger schools. So it's not that big of a deal. I will say one issue as much as it's fun to say, and as much as I want it to happen, would love to see it happen. I know before there was a requirement on stadium size to join the FBS. And I don't know that really any of those teams meet that requirement because otherwise I don't think they'd still be in the FCS at all to begin with. Right. I think that was a big topic of conversation with North Dakota State for several years now, actually, because they have the ability to expand to however many the capacity requirement is. But they so just haven't done it. it. They haven't needed to. Uh, yeah, I so think I, you and I would be the most fucked out of that entire situation. Right. So I, so I just looked it up. Uh, each school must have a stadium in place large enough to meet NCAA minimum attendance requirements at least 15,000 average home attendance once yeah. every two years for FBS standards. That means a school must have a state, an existing stadium that seats a minimum of 15,000 fans. Those really are not that big of stadiums, especially when you consider that shit places like Ohio state and Michigan are almost nine times, almost 10 times the size of that. They're I'm sure they're finding a way to make those stadiums up to 150. They just haven't got there yet. <laughs> 
Uh, well, well, it's interesting, too, thinking about the teams that Conference USA has explored adding because Sam Houston State, Stephen F. Austin, and Abilene Christian all have stadiums less than 10,000 capacity. So they are in unable currently to even join Conference USA. If they wanted to, they would need a few years to basically build new stadiums. And for our situational awareness, just assuming that UNI has the smallest stadium out of the Missouri Valley, their capacity is 16,324. So assuming near sellouts every game for two years or it said once every two years, so a single season. Smallest. I just know that the actual the dome, can itself, dome is not it's, expandable. It's, yeah, it's very small for an indoor stadium. That's all that I was yeah. really getting at there. Uh, I would no, say that's fine. <laughs> the teams were going to get the worst of it if they did go to the FBS. They're like you're looking at Indiana State, or they're not even um, Western Illinois. Uh, who? Yeah, they can't do anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. SIU Stadium was built. It's at right at fifteen thousand. It's built in a way that it could be expanded easily too. They would be in a good position. I don't know enough about some of these other stadiums. Really, this is all just a hypothetical, but it's fun to talk about. I think North and South Dakota State are both domes, right? And they're, I think they're North North Dakota State is not. Okay. North North Dakota State sits at 19K. That's that's not really enough. It's a small facility as well. It's not as bad as like Idaho, but. I know technically the numbers, if they had sellouts, it's enough. But I'm saying like as far as real what size you would want an FBS arena to be that's not no if you're talking just what's existing here like you said a lot of the domes are the hard part that I agree with this should also tell you to back off of MTSU because apparently they have attendance better than most (laughs) schools I think I think the other big thing here is that if you're FIU UTEP or Louisiana Tech I don't know that you can sit around and wait for Conference USA to save you basically especially fiu is kind of in a weird position utep and louisiana tech have been dominant in conference usa i kind of understand not wanting to leave both teams could move to the mountain west or the sun belt you should be able to determine which one is which and be successful there too so i don't understand why you wouldn't want to do that louisiana tech too you got to think about it if they go to the sun belt they've got an automatic protected rivalry with Louisiana because they're going to be in the same division. They're probably only 200 miles apart at most. And it was weird to me that FIU has the biggest grant of any team in Conference USA that, you know, ever was in Conference USA. And they just, you know, can't find a home. I thought this was all about money. They they apparently don't invest in athletics enough. Well, that's that's really what the big difference is between a lot of these smaller conferences and the big conferences is athletic investment. But still, you look at you know UTSA has really working on a grant of 116 million a year, and then FIU on 510, and they can't get enough money to build a stadium or attract any coaches still, or anything. I'm still trying to figure out why they let the Sun Belt in the first place. I don't. I've, right. I've yet to figure out all these teams because they're not the only ones why they thought leaving the Sun Belt for Conference USA was an improvement when they joined Conference <laughs> USA. It was because of the vacuum that was left by Memphis, Houston, SMU, 
Cincinnati, all those well, teams. Well, that- I think that's exactly why they left for Conference USA. Conference USA was, at the time, seen as the stepping stone to get to an, an even bigger conference. So it was like the Sun Belt was the bottom. Then Conference USA was the mediary, and then you would get into like some actual TV money in a bigger conference. I mean, the American TV deal, as much as we talk about how small it is compared to Power 5, it's huge compared to Conference USA and Sun Belt. So now all that's happened is the Sun Belt has had a few teams become really good. And that's not even, it was never expected, right? I mean, I just, Appalachian State, Coastal Carolina, where did these schools even come from? They haven't existed before like 2007. So it's fascinating to see the power transition here, but I totally understand why they would have gone to Conference USA. I just don't think that the Conference USA name carried enough. And right. I don't I, I don't even think that the teams that left were carrying a name for it. Memphis certainly wasn't in football. They they were all basketball. I it, I don't know, man. I, I'm not surprised to see it going down this way, I guess is what I'm really getting at here. So let's go ahead and talk about the Mountain West for a second. Uh, San Diego State has just signed a huge name, image, and likeness deal. And about 60 players so far have opted into it. So what this does... Like I said, it's an opt-in situation. Players have to agree to advertise. Uh, I don't even know what all the requirements are. But it's for this company, College Hunks Moving Junk, which is hilarious. So it's $15,000 up front split among everyone who opted in. And then everybody who refers people to the company gets a commission. Interesting setup. You know, it's only 250 bucks per person right now. So, so far, yeah. This sounds 100% like all of those schemes we see, all of those high school friends we had doing on Instagram where it's social media marketing. And if you do well, you get more money and then you move up the rank. In other words, we call it a pyramid scheme. Um, <laughs> and mean, that's really... I, I the new term this. is multi-level marketing. But this that's, that's not it. what this that's... is. <laughs> this is I a... Mean, uh, it's a legitimate moving company. Right. Which... They have franchises around the country and they're looking to expand to multiple colleges and multiple markets too. So it's no, interesting. Absolutely. This setup is wonky, but it's, it is a legitimate company and I like what they're trying to do here. It's wonky, but it, it, it really is a common advertising marketing scheme that a lot of these newer companies that are trying to bust on the scene are doing. I guarantee the requirements are, Hey, you have to post some things on social media uh, all this other stuff and all that fun stuff. I There's a ton of smaller companies that do it that say, hey, we'll bring you on as a uh, representative. And then they, you know, based on sales, based on referrals, they give you a commission uh, for what you're doing. So it that's probably what it is. And it's a great marketing scheme and it works for San Diego State right now. And a cool 250 bucks. I'll take it, you know. To not do anything. That's 250 to just say, yeah, I'll do it, and then you don't have to do anything. <laughs> well, let's talk about coaches now. A uh, few coaching updates here for you. First, I uh, wanted to talk about Gary Patterson, who mutually agreed to leave TCU, which is absolutely wild. I know TCU has been underperforming this season, 
but also Gary Patterson basically is TCU football. I mean, gosh, the man's been on the staff since 1997 in some capacity, been the head coach for almost as long. It's really crazy to see, you know, Horn Frog football without my man Gary Patterson. Yeah, I didn't get to watch any of this game, um, but people were calling for him to get fired or be out in the middle of the game. It's insane to me because TCU wasn't anything with you know without him. I I don't know. It sucks, but the guy that's there as the interim head coach, I love. So yeah, let's go ahead and talk about that interim coach, Jerry Kill will be the interim for the rest of the season, his last head coaching job. You may remember him at Minnesota until 2015. Crazy story there. He had some seizures on the sidelines at Minnesota, and turns out he had kidney cancer. So that's in remission. He's back coaching. (laughs) That's wild, man. I think Absolutely it was the second incredible. time he's had cancer as well, because I'm pretty sure he had cancer while he was at SIU, and that's kind of where he started his uh, Coach Kill Cancer Fund. Really incredible. He has had five different head coaching jobs in college, one high school coaching job as well. And in between there, when he medically retired from Minnesota, he took over as athletic director of Southern Illinois for a couple of years before getting back into coaching. He was a special assistant to the head coach at Virginia Tech last year and then special assistant to the head coach at TCU this year before now becoming the interim head coach. Apparently, he had a lot of friends in coaching, loved coaching too much, and was able to get some sweetheart jobs at Virginia Tech and TCU. Really cool to see. Um you know, I, sometimes you can call that nepotism, but with a guy like Jerry Kill, you just call it having friends in the business. He was a great guy, a great personality, some a guy you want to have around. So I get it a lot. And also, do want to say, Virginia Tech fans, don't be surprised if you lose your linebacker coach because Tracy Clays has been Jerry Kill's defensive coordinator pretty much everywhere he's gone. So... <laughs> He might get a promotion here at TCU next season. Uh, He was also the interim head coach in Minnesota when Jerry Kill medically retired there. So Tracy Clay's incredible coach. I'm sure Virginia Tech will be sad to see him go. But I'm really happy to see Jerry Kill get another opportunity here. See what he can do. Yeah, man, absolutely. It's going to be interesting. Uh, I hope he does well. I hope he does get this full-time job. It's going to be hard to turn that TCU program around. It's going to take a few years, so we'll see what happens this offseason. Speaking of full-time gigs, Jeff Trailer got himself an extension with UTSA after taking the Roadrunners to 8-0 starting this season. Pretty incredible. He signed the biggest extension in program history, 10 years, $28 million. The man still thinks of himself as a high school coach, but, man, you're getting paid like a college coach now. It's really, really cool to see this guy talk about recruiting and all the connections that he has to the Texas High School Coaches Association. And that's what really has helped UTSA here recently. He knows these coaches like the back of his hand because he was a high school coach in Texas for like 30 years before coming up to the college level. Man is much older than the typical UTSA head coach. 
But man, he is certainly making it work because of his connections, because of his know-how, and because he's able to find some diamonds in the rough that people don't know about unless you have those connections to know about them. So really working out at UTSA. Glad to see him getting rewarded there. And hopefully UTSA can keep the success up in the transition to the American. His connection to Texas is absolutely huge because Texas recruiting ground now mostly belongs to the Big Ten and the SEC. Uh, and even more so here in a couple of years when Texas moves over uh, and all of the Texas schools are basic, all of the Texas schools of note, really. Sorry, Texas Tech. I'm kind of not really a believer right now uh, are over in the SEC. His ability to have these connections will enable him to recruit against these schools effectively because he has that rapport with the coaches. This is absolutely insane and could be a springboard here. Uh, even if it starts as just the, like you said, Doug, the, the diamonds in the rough, even if it starts just as that, this is going to grow for a couple of years here moving forward. I mean, all the five-star guys go to Ohio state. So I think he meant, uh, I think he meant big 12 in the sec. No, it's, it's really just Ohio it's, state. It's, it's not the big, 10. it's Ohio state and the sec. But now he's going to have to deal with literally every other team in Texas besides, what, SMU being in either the Big 12 or the SEC. Right. right. He's only got one other uh, school of note in his conference that I haven't already mentioned. That's going to be North Texas. I don't know. If he's been able to do it this far in Conference USA, which, again – this is a little bit of just a shit fest on Conference USA at this point. But going up to the American Athletic Conference, especially with how Cincinnati's doing and how they're ranked across the board, even if we don't agree with the most recent ranking, we'll get there in a minute. The American Athletic Conference is legitimate, and losing Cincinnati is absolutely going to hurt them. We'll get to that all in a moment, though. One last coaching news piece to talk about here, Clay Helton has agreed to a new deal to take over at Georgia Southern, apparently pretty much immediately. Fascinating there. He gets fired at USC, gets a new coaching gig pretty quickly here. Georgia Southern is a big step down from USC, but at the same time, if he can find some success here, it's a well-worn path to getting a bigger head coaching gig. We'll see how he does. You know, Chad Lunsford was fired after starting the season one and three there. Hopefully Clay Helton can do better than that. <laughs> Clay Helton was never a bad head coach. We've talked about this plenty of times. He got into USC. The boosters never wanted him, so he had been facing the fire the entire time. There's a large part of me that wants to say that Georgia Southern might have just hit the jackpot with this hire and not letting it get to the coaching carousel uh, in college football. So this is going to be really interesting to see how this turns out, and I think Doug, I think you're on to something that Georgia Southern might be a force here in a couple of years in the in the in the fun belt. They're definitely going to need to get some good recruiting classes in there, though, because there is no talent on that team currently. Well, the last time somebody said that they ended up beating Penn State. So shout out Brett Bielema. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's dive into the rankings here because we have two rankings we want to talk about. First up, the BDT Trench Ratings. If you want access to the full BDT Trench Ratings, by the way, the way to do that is to sign up on our Patreon, patreon.com slash bdtfootball, where you will find the entire 130 teams in the FBS ranked 
in the order in which they are statistically good or not. So pretty straightforward there. Number one for us is obviously going to be Georgia. It's the way it has been for a while. But from there, I want to take it from the bottom up. So number 10, Alabama. This is interesting to me because, I mean, it's Alabama. But according to the statistics and according to our model, they have not been playing like one of the top four teams in the country. Number nine, Notre Dame. Number eight, Oklahoma. Number seven, UTSA. And number six, Michigan State. Number five, Wake Forest. We have a bunch of undefeateds right there. And they're all ahead of Notre Dame and Alabama. Not the case in uh, some other rankings, but let's let's get through these before we start focusing on uh, the things we all have a major issue with this week. According to our BDT trench ratings, if the playoff were today, the teams that we think deserve to be in, apparently, according to our model, would be Georgia up against Ohio State and, amazingly, the team up north against Cincinnati. That's right. The team up north did not drop out of number two, even after losing to Michigan State. I couldn't believe it either. That's what our model says. Very obviously not biased, non-biased ranking system here. Right? I do want to highlight real quick why that's actually the case. While Michigan didn't drop in overall rank, their rating has dropped significantly. There was just that big of a gap last week between them and Cincinnati. Um, So we got Georgia set at 100 because they're number one and we have it defaulted to 100. There's about a 14 point gap there before Michigan comes in at a at 85.9 Cincinnati and 85.7 and Ohio State at an 83.2 so you got Georgia big gap and then you get the next three and then between Michigan and Alabama there's only about a 10 point difference so really I see why they didn't drop because their rating dropped but they've been playing that well against their opponents previously that they could suffer the loss and still be okay. Which is also fascinating to me as to how Jim Harbaugh can possibly keep his job. Because if you're playing that well against everyone and then losing the rivalries anyway, you just can't, that's not sustainable. It, it, it comes down, and we were talking about this this week, and it comes down to it for me. What is becoming apparent is Jim Harbaugh cannot coach in the big games in college football. I mean, they've been upset plenty of times in bowl games. Top 25 matchups are the bane of his existence. Rivalry top 25 games are just almost guaranteed losses. Like, it, it's bad right now for Michigan. He is 3-9 and nine all-time against Michigan State and Ohio State, and three of those wins came against Michigan State. So losing the big one every time you're in it, that's a rough way to be as a head coach up there. So... Let's go ahead and talk about the college football playoff rankings now, which turned out significantly different than I think any of us expected. Um, If we we used our brains, we knew this was going to fucking happen. Yeah, I didn't want to believe it, though. (laughs) Alabama's at number two. Like, I'm, (laughs) I'm not even mad that Cincinnati isn't in this first ranking. Honestly, probably don't even be deserve to be number two in the AP poll. I would understand if Michigan, Ohio State, Oklahoma, 
even Wake Forest, if they were in the top four over Cincinnati, none of those teams I named are. You have two one-loss teams, Alabama at two, Oregon at four, and Michigan at three, all ahead of Cincinnati. Oh, by the way, Oklahoma, Wake Forest. I I just – and Baylor is undefeated still too, aren't they? Like this just makes – they do have a loss? Okay. That makes it a little bit better. But this is just ridiculous. It's Michigan State at three. Let's hold our horses a little bit there. Did I say at least, my, yeah. That's my fault. <laughs> it, at least they got the right team out of the state up north in the top four. The only reason Oregon is sitting at number four right now is because the committee feels like they have to put them ahead of Ohio State. That is 100% what that is because Oregon beat Ohio State. And that's Ohio State's lone loss. So apparently the committee is ignoring UCLA. Or not, they, Oregon beat UCLA. Who'd they lose? Stanford. They're ignoring that Stanford exists and that they beat Oregon. But they're still penalizing Ohio State for losing to what they have as the number four team in the nation. And then running train on literally everybody else. To me, that almost can, doesn't matter, though. Because the best part of Ohio State's schedule is yet to come. I mean, Michigan exactly. State and the team up north. Back-to-back weeks to close out the regular season. And then a Big Ten title game of either number 20, Minnesota, number 21, Wisconsin, or 22, Iowa. So you win out those three games. Ohio State's going to be in the playoff. It's just really sickening that Alabama can lose to Georgia and probably still be in. That's what this ranking says. If Alabama loses the SEC title game, how far are they really going to drop? Everyone knows that Georgia's the best team in the country at the moment. It's really blatantly obvious if you're watching college football. So can you really say that Alabama was the favorite there and should have put up a good fight? I mean, I feel like we're going to see Alabama in the playoff based on this ranking. If Alabama, let's look at it though. Okay. Alabama's got one loss. Oregon's got one loss. Ohio state's got one loss. Michigan, Notre Dame, Oklahoma state, Baylor, all have one loss. Auburn, I think, has two. Yeah. So, one through 12 is all undefeated or one-loss teams. Pretty much after that, I don't see any way any of these teams are getting in. 24, San Diego State, one loss, undefeated. One loss to Fresno State, who's 23. Who also has a loss. Pittsburgh has a loss. The only losses. Two losses. The only undefeated team I can think of off the top of my head, not in this top 25, which, by the way, 14, Texas A&M, BYU at 15, Ole Miss 16, 17, Mississippi State, Kentucky 18, NC State at 19, Minnesota 20, Wisconsin 21, Iowa 22, Fresno State, San Diego State, Pittsburgh. Only undefeated team I can think of not in this top 25 is UTSA. Right. They are not going to sniff the top top 10, let alone the top four. So we can ignore that. We're really looking at this top 13. There is no chance that if, like, I don't I don't think these any of these teams will end up with two losses or, you know, I, I Alabama, if they lose the championship game, will have two losses, right? There's no way you're going to be able to justify not putting in a, any of these teams with one loss except for Cincinnati or an undefeated Cincinnati. Well, I didn't think there was a way to justify putting Alabama at number two right now, but they did. So there, there is a way no to way justify it. Maybe there is. I, I'm. Oh, there is. It's called money. We all know that. Right. Um, that being said, 
this really concerns me. Even just looking at the top 10 right now, this really concerns me for Cincinnati, especially because SMU lost to Houston this last weekend. Doug, you said it. That was probably going to be the the death the death knell for for Cincinnati. And I, man, looking at this, them coming in at six, I think you're right. Because looking through here, Ohio State, if they beat Michigan State, they're jumping into the top four. Okay. If Michigan at all beats Ohio State, no, not a theory you want to talk about, but we have to. Michigan beats Ohio State. They jump Cincinnati. Well, let's be real. One of Michigan State, Ohio State, or the team up north are going to win out win the Big Ten, they're in the playoff. One of Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Baylor, if they win out, win the Big 12, they have a really good shot of making the playoff. And that's that's what I'm driving at is Cincinnati has no ranked opponents by the college football playoff committee's rankings. They have no ranked opponents left on their schedule. They only have one ranked opponent win, and that's assuming Notre Dame keeps winning. So it is a top 10 win. It's huge. But that is their only thing on their resume that the college football committee cares about. So at this point, it doesn't even matter how big they win as much as we always say that it can because it does. Cincinnati, just looking at the top 10, can be jumped by just about everybody except Notre Dame because they beat Notre Dame. And that's that will still get jumped by Notre Dame. I have full confidence in it because the other thing you got to look at, there's no reason A&M, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and Kentucky should all be ranked as high as they are. Absolutely. So not. the so the only way I see Cincinnati getting in is if through two through twenty five lose another game or two. Like that's that's the only way at this point. They need that much help that everybody on this list except <laughs> Georgia needs to lose a game. Because and, a, and what an I say, Cincinnati is a lot more enticing than a two-loss team. And when I say, you know, when I list all those SEC teams off, I'm not saying none of them deserve to be ranked. But there is no way in hell that all four of them deserve to be ranked 14 through 18. Absolutely none. No, I agree. Texas and Emma three-loss team. Like, this is yes. kind but of they, but, they beat, it, but they beat Alabama, so they have to be they ranked beat the to make number Alabama two team. look good. Correct. Yep. That's all that boils right. down to. Alabama's other biggest wins are Ole Miss and Mississippi State. They have to be ranked to make them look good there, too. <laughs> Kentucky does legitimately deserve their ranking. I'm not going to take that away from them. That's kind of unfair. Mississippi State State Kentucky, I don't even think Kentucky. Kentucky's all that good. Let's be real. Their one and loss is at Georgia. State's, Mississippi State's also a three-loss team. One of those losses right. is to Memphis, who's looked like shit since that game. But I was about to say, Kentucky has a real shot to go, what, 10-2 and two this season? Losing to the only two ranked teams they will have played, so <laughs> somehow in an SEC schedule, they will have only played two ranked teams. Which you see how much the committee likes ranking SEC teams. So that's pretty ridiculous. <laughs> and even even the love Iowa's getting, I think, is kind of ridiculous. When you start looking, and Wisconsin for that matter. I mean, Auburn got beat by Penn State, and Penn State's not ranked, so. I I will say, and I've been saying this all year, that Iron Bowl is getting more and more interesting as they go. Um, because it's going to have an impact on this now either way, which is exactly what they were trying to do, uh, as they were trying to, trying to draw that up. Here's the dirty truth. 
if Alabama loses to Auburn in the Iron Bowl, Auburn goes to the SEC championship game right now. There's some other games to be played that can change. But as of right now, if Auburn wins, they're in the SEC championship against against Georgia. That being said, say this shakes out the wrong way. Auburn still wins. Alabama goes into the SEC championship as a two-loss team, and they lose to Georgia. Do they still get in as a three-loss non-SEC champion team? I know what we were about to say. They shouldn't get in. They shouldn't get in with two losses. It has been made abundantly clear through the college football playoff in the past that a two-loss team is well, not right. Think of when Penn State was a two-loss Big Ten champ and Ohio State, yep. their one loss being to Penn State, got in over them. Right? Mm-hmm. That was wild. And that, was, that was the big thing is the message was you're not getting in as a two-loss team. We talk – now, I want to shift a little bit here too because we talked a lot about, you know, two-loss Alabama probably maybe still gets in. I don't – believe that at all but i don't believe anything at this point cincinnati (laughs) needs help wake forest is another team that needs a lot of help what helps them the most right now is the fact that they play nc state in two weeks and they are ranked in this top 25 here i think the only reason nc state is ranked 19 is to try and help wake forest get in i I just don't agree with that nc state is actually a pretty good team i would put them around the 20th best team in the country i believe that I, my my issue is, my issue is, there's too much difference between this and every other poll that's come out before this, you know, outside of the college football playoff poll. Now, I understand that there's no direct link to the AP or the coaches poll, but how are you going to have your AP number two drop all the way to number six? How are you going to have an unranked NC State jump all the way to 19? There's a lot of manipulation of the polls here to make different teams look better and have a better shot when this all shakes out and the dust settles at the end of the season. And I agree with what you're saying there, but I'm, I'm also going to answer the question you had is how, how do they drop that far? It's this really vague reasoning that they use that they call the eye test. No one knows what it means. Nobody understands it. It's completely within whoever is voting on it. Right. This is why this is why the BDT trench ratings exist. Because we were sick of the eye test. And we were also sick of the AP bowl before this. So, <laughs> so the more things so, change, the more Alabama wins championships. <laughs> the, the, but I do want to drive this home because, Ben, the AP poll agrees with a lot of what your stance is. Hey, if you're undefeated and you're still winning, I'm not going to drop you. That is 100% what the AP poll tends to do. What this is saying is, hey, that's great and all. I'm glad you're winning but you looked like shit against Navy and you struggled against Tulane. You're going to drop out of number two because we don't think you're the number six best team in the nation, or we don't think you're the number two best team in the nation. That's where that difference comes in. I I hate that it's an eye test. I wish this was based entirely off statistics the way that the BDT rankings have done. And I don't just mean entirely like, oh, hey, this is the number one offense in the nation. I mean – Hey, this is the number one offense in the nation. They've also played like the sixth toughest schedule in the in the season among 130 teams. That that's worth something. That's what I wish this was looking at is how they're playing against their opponents week in and week out. Yeah. It's really just looking at who has the most SEC schools on the schedule and then stacking those on I mean, top of each other. That's really what it's starting to feel like. Yeah, it's, so. And that's what it is. And the reason it is that way is because, Doug, your favorite argument, the SEC draws the most money right now. And also, 
hence why Ohio State has scheduled games, home and home series against Alabama and home and home series against Georgia for coming years. Looking forward to those, by the way. Hopefully that doesn't become some neutral site bullshit like usual what the SEC tries to do. <laughs> Weasel their way out of playing north of the Mason-Dixon line. But, you know, <laughs> anything's possible. It, it gets cold up there, okay? I will say it was really great to see Auburn come up to State College and play at Penn State. That kind of thing just doesn't happen usually. So to see that happen this year, it felt like it should have mattered. Unfortunately, then Penn State lost to Illinois nine overtimes, so it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> but we have a lot of college football season left to go here, really. We're just getting into the meat of it. November is going to be one hectic time for college football, and we're going to be with you every step of the way. So stay tuned to the big dudes in the trenches. We know what we're talking about it comes to college football, as you can tell by our actually not bad records at picking games this season. So looking forward to another just awesome, awesome month of football ahead of us. So as I briefly mentioned up top, this week was absolutely incredible for college football. And we picked a couple of games to watch. Who wants to start us off? Because I think we all did a pretty good job. I'll I mean, it. I'll take my. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you can go first. You seem way more I, excited about it than I am. I didn't even well, watch my game, so. I mean, I was working when mine went on too, but so I don't have much to go off of. I gave us a couple storylines to watch with Oklahoma, Texas Tech, uh, Texas Tech with the new head coach. Oklahoma really struggling against games they should absolutely walk over uh, this year. Oklahoma finally put it together in a game. Uh, I'll get to why uh, in my player to watch here, but. Uh, Oklahoma took this one 52 to 21, left no doubt on the field that they were the better team there. So I took uh, FAU versus UTEP, and I kind of ragged on UTEP, even though they had the better record. I said they hadn't really played anybody, and I didn't expect them to pose much of a challenge to FAU. And for most of the game, they didn't. Going into the fourth quarter, and even 10 minutes into the fourth quarter, it was 28 to 10 FAU. And then UTEP made it a game. They came all the way back, but ultimately lost 25 to 28. Tough loss for them, but give them a lot of credit for showing some fight and desire there. I mean, when you've got a record like what they had going into it, I think they were a one-loss team going into this one. You know that they're used to winning. You know that they've gotten that confidence and found ways to win when maybe they shouldn't, even if their opponents aren't the best. I... Kind of upset I wasn't able to catch this one. Well, it really was a good game there at the end for sure. I picked two games that were actually really awesome all the way through, <laughs> which we knew they were going to be, but I picked them for a reason. This week was very telling about the Big Ten East race. We're talking about the showdown in East Lansing and the battle in Columbus. Man, Michigan State felt like they didn't deserve to win for a little bit there. They just found a way to get it done. They didn't deserve to win. Kenneth Walker third definitely <laughs> deserved to win. I also want to say, man, Ohio State really is the better team between them and Penn State. But they made so many dumb mistakes that we're not used to seeing them make. Really, 
the last month and a half of watching them play, it made this a lot closer of a game than it was expected to be. At the same time, everyone with half a brain knew that going in. This was not going to be a blowout win for anybody. That's not the way this game works. It hasn't for the last, I don't know, six, seven years. This game is always close. So good to see Ohio State get a win against a pretty good team. I know they lost Illinois, but you know you have to take into account Sean Clifford was hurt for that one. So he's healthy, and he was producing, and Ohio State still found a way to win. So pretty awesome to see there. Absolutely love college football, by the way. This was really fun. <laughs> Loved every bit of that. But I'll go ahead and take us into our picks for these games then. I had Michigan State winning. I had Ohio State winning. So it all worked out very well for me. In the, and uh, I am seriously hoping that Michigan State can find it in themselves to win the next two games, not look ahead to Ohio State, because when I go to Columbus and watch Michigan State at Ohio State, I want that to be a top five game, which it absolutely can be. That's going to be awesome. That's going to be the tough thing too. for Michigan State is not looking forward. Right. I did also pick Oklahoma, but I did take UTEP. I was really rooting for the Miners. They couldn't get it done. So I went 3-1, and one, which is pretty solid still. Doug, I, I will say I'm looking at it, and uh, yeah, Michigan State's going to have that sneaky opponent that tends to do well against Big Ten East teams randomly uh, in Purdue this weekend. Who They've already got one top five win this year, so uh, we'll see if they do it again. You even said it yourself, Purdue's been sneaky good this year. I also went 2-1. and one. I had FAU, Michigan, and OU, and kind of like Doug said, Michigan looked like the better team for most of this game and probably deserved to win. Kenneth Walker III was on an absolute different level. You know, We're going to talk a little bit of our Heisman bracket here later. This was a game where Kenneth Walker III definitely supplanted himself firmly atop the Heisman race, regardless of what the Vegas odd makers say when they put Bryce Young at the top. Hey guys, I think I'm on a streak right now. I'm I, I went three and zero this week. An underwear streak. Got him. Hey. Got him. Got him good. <laughs> it's time to do laundry. Uh, yeah, no. F A U pulled it out. Uh, like you were saying earlier, Ben. Uh, uh, Ohio State pulled it out uh, in really what was a close game. And like you said, Doug, that's the way that Penn State game goes. And then Oklahoma pulling it out again against uh, Texas Tech, as as discussed earlier. The way you were talking there, I thought you were about to say FAU pulled it out. Ben, unlike you, three kids. <laughs> <laughs> Pull out game week. Let's talk about our bonus games here. Again, just a great week of college football. Wisconsin proved that they are not out of the conversation just yet. They may very well end up still winning the Big Ten West just as everyone expected them to. And then they lost three games and everyone didn't expect them to anymore. And then they're beating up on teams that they weren't supposed to. So Wisconsin's back, I guess, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> the trick is to not expect anything of Wisconsin and just let them do their thing. So now that I say that, Minnesota's going to win the West. 
<laughs> Let's do it. Hey, from week one, it sounded like you wanted a rematch against Minnesota this year anyway, so. No, thank you. Uh, Georgia-Florida happened this weekend. Georgia made Florida look silly while doing it. Uh, Mississippi, though. Mississippi well, State also made Kentucky look silly. So interesting that all of those teams are ranked, I think. No, Florida's not. If they'd have beaten LSU, they probably would be, though. If they'd beaten Alabama, they would be. That's too. <laughs> True. Two points away from greatness. Uh, Auburn did beat Ole Miss. And basically what you're saying, Doug, it's setting up a very interesting Iron Bowl. Uh, one of the games that I highlighted that nobody else was ever going to talk about, Virginia-BYU, turned into an absolutely epic game that nobody decided to play defense in. So that was cool. Guys, the Big 12 have, has already decided which teams it's admitting. Stop Stop making your case. And BYU deserve to be in, so <laughs> <laughs> they're proving their case. Uh, winning a just absolute barn burner, I think 63-49, to 49, something Six similar to that. Right. So um, SMU at Houston, we already talked about how that one turned out. Houston with the upset, but really on a kick return. Right. Which, you know, that's incredible in itself. There was like, what, 20 seconds left in the game kick return for a touchdown. Just awesome. But I got to say between these teams, there's what two losses now between both of them. I really think SMU and Houston both should be ranked right now. I'm really surprised that neither of them are. In the AP Bowl, both of them are. So I think both of these teams would be good opponents for Cincinnati. We'll have to see what the committee thinks eventually. Both of them are. I, I'm i not going to get on the soapbox here. not going to do it. We already got on that soapbox. We can we bring it back on it again. For, but... We hung out on the soapbox for a few minutes earlier. So Oregon State at California. I don't remember why we picked this game anymore. Um, I think we both thought it might be good. Yes, for no reason. <laughs> and then Oregon State just decided not to play it. So, for no reason. <laughs> and Cal was the worst team, too, when I you know. look at their records. So. A couple of big-time FCS the... games as well. I'm sorry. I was going to say something about the FCS, or not the FCS, while wow, you messed with me there. Something about the Pac-12 just beating up on itself yet again. Hopefully somebody can do that to Oregon. Um, FCS action, Dartmouth and Harvard had a pretty good one of pretty good Ivy League schools there. Dartmouth ended up winning this one. Gotta say Princeton's probably in line for the Ivy League title. They look like the best team out of that group so far. But Dartmouth is making a case for it, even though they do have one loss. South Dakota State over Youngstown State pretty significantly. South Dakota State back in the win column. Um, not not the case for Southern Illinois. Northern Iowa ends up pulling that one out. And the Salukis looked like they had it in the first half. Not going to lie. Northern, <laughs> Northern Iowa, rather, pulled an SIU on this one and right. played like crap all game and then finished. Something the Salukis has been doing all year. 
it was going to happen eventually. And we think the same thing is eventually going to happen to Oklahoma. I think the college football playoff committee honestly does too. And that's why they were ranked where they are. Happened to SIU. That's all the games we had highlighted. Let's go ahead and talk about our players to watch. So you want to start us off here as well? Yeah. So like I said, I'm going to highlight why, uh, Oklahoma was able to successfully manhandle the crap out of the Red Raiders. Uh, and I called it last week. I said, hey, if Oklahoma's going to win, they need to protect the ball. And Caleb Williams needs to have a big game while protecting the ball. And my God, did he do that? Uh, Caleb Williams, 23 for 30, 4, 402 through the air and added six touchdowns and that magical zero interceptions. Uh, Man, he protected the ball. Oklahoma State got rolling, and it was it was done from there. I'll go next, Doug, since you took half of the Big Ten East for your player to watch this week. <laughs> uh, I took Anthony Richardson, quarterback for Florida. Didn't have a horrible game, especially when you consider he got knocked out in the third quarter anyway, 12 of 20 for 82 yards. Biggest problem, though, is he had two picks. Not too terribly surprising going up against that Georgia Bulldogs defense. I don't know what hurt more, the picks or getting hurt. I don't know what hurt Florida's, you know, 0.1% chance of winning in this game going into it. But always hate when I pick a player that ends up getting hurt. That's two of the last four that I've picked. Yeah, step up your game, bug. I had a pretty great week with players to watch. I better have. I picked three of them. So let's talk about Kenneth Walker III. We already kind of mentioned it, but let's talk about it a little bit in detail here. 197 yards and five touchdowns for the man. He had all five of Michigan State's touchdowns. He looked like a legitimate Heisman Trophy contender. I don't know how you could possibly argue otherwise at this point i mean it comes down to it's going to be him or it's going to be some schlub quarterback who nobody knew about going into the season so let's give it to a running back for a change why not it's been a few years since we've done that right yeah derrick henry was the last running back to win it wasn't he pretty sure uh jahan dotson by the way Another of my players to watch. I was hoping that Ohio State would shut him down, and they certainly did for the first half of that game. But he ended up with 11 catches for 127 yards. He also had a touchdown on the ground, ran one in from two yards out. Interesting stat line for him at the end of the game. But he looked fantastic in the second half. I don't know why they couldn't get him the ball in the first half at all. There was only one target I saw, and... It was a beautiful pass breakup, the best play our corner has ever had in his career. So you don't expect that to happen twice. It certainly didn't, and he had a great game pulling it all out in the second half. So I don't know what the game plan was, just not going to Jahan Dotson. That's not going to work for Penn State. They need to utilize all their weapons. Then Brennan Armstrong was my other guy to watch, quarterback for Virginia, having a really under-the-radar season, still leading the FBS in yards. Man, those interception numbers are creeping up for him, though. A little bit of a gunslinger. Threw two picks in this game against BYU. 
that's what really kept Virginia from keeping pace with that BYU offense, which no one expected it to have to come to this, right? I mean, BYU has not had this prolific of an offense all season against that Virginia defense. They were able to do some pretty wild stuff. So maybe that's why you're not hearing about Brennan Armstrong. You got to pay attention. Sometimes teams lose for non-quarterback reasons. That's this Virginia team. So he's not good enough to keep up with everybody. But, man, if you have a good defense and Brandon Armstrong, you're going to win some college games. Have I talked about enough players yet? I think I have. (laughs) I don't know, man. Looking forward, my one concern here for Ohio State, looking forward just just to close this loop a little bit, no secret that they struggled against the run game, against Oregon, and even against uh, Minnesota there early in the season. I know they've kind of locked it down on defense here in the past few weeks, but that is going to be a matchup to watch and a half is Kenneth Walker versus that Ohio State defense. We'll tell you after the changes that Ohio State made on defense, I'm much less scared of Kenneth Walker the third than I am of, I don't know, list wide receiver weapon that Alabama has here. So (laughs) we'll have to see how the rest of the season plays out, man. I am just, I'm going to be glued to my screens watching college football as much as possible this whole month. It's definitely starting to get interesting now. We're fully into conference schedules, college football pulls up. Great time of year for college football. So the NFL was pretty awesome this week, too. Let's be real. Some incredible games. I picked two of them, and I want to talk about these games because, first of all, New England at the Chargers. Is Mac Jones, like, good now? Is that a thing? I think this was the first non-rookie quarterback he's beaten this year. So just keep that in mind. (laughs) Why must you insist on hurting me? Because fuck you. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So as long as we've gotten that out of the way, I'm okay with that. Tennessee at Indianapolis went to overtime. Derrick Henry got hurt. Tennessee still finds a way to win on an interception. The Carson Wentz should never have thrown. Just a wild game. And uh, Randy Bullock is having quite the career resurgence down in Nashville. (laughs) Kicking a couple of game winners already this season. What a wild NFL season this has already been. And we're only halfway through. Can can it please be over? I just I just want it over. (laughs) What was your game to watch, Bug? My game to watch was the only game that I watched from start to finish. And I can't even really say start to finish. It was the only game I planned on watching start to finish. And that was Bears 49ers. Bears offense, already said at the top of the show, looked great. I don't know what happened to the defense. If you haven't seen Justin Fields' touchdown run, I thought that was going to be a turning point in the game. What ended up being a turning point in the game was Cairo Santos missing the point after attempt. And then the defense laying an absolute egg for the second drive, for the second of three consecutive drives, and just allowing uh, San Francisco to run straight down the field and score another touchdown. They were already up one after the missed PAT, took an eight point lead, would add a field goal later, won this one 33 to 22. And then, Tug, what was this abomination? I, I'm sorry. 
Uh, I did apologize last week. I'm going to do it again this week. Uh, I'm I'm sorry. I don't even want to talk about this game. I thought the Lions had a chance, man. I thought they were going to you know, show up and finally put a game together. But there's a key fact that I said last week that I forgot when I was making my picks. And that's the Lions play well against teams they shouldn't. And they play like trash against teams they should play well against. They did not play well against the Eagles. Like, at all. Like, I'm not even sure they were on the field. Um, I was at work, and Jesus Christ, I didn't think the Eagles offense was capable of putting up 44 points. <laughs> Yet here we are. Um, and have, my God, the Lions played like trash. I have no idea why you had any faith in the Lions. Lions fans don't have faith in the Lions. It's almost worse than you still having faith in the Dolphins. Who said I have faith in the Dolphins? <laughs> Well, you have faith in the Lions. I figured you have faith in your own team. <laughs> Man. I am living the life of perpetual disappointment right now in the NFL, and it, it hurts. My Sundays are terrible. Every week, it's it hurts. Like, physically painful. Gotta join me on the dark side, man. Start watching college football almost exclusively. It's, it's getting... Uh... It's coming. I think your uh, your weeks being your Sundays being awful can only be defined even more so by your record this week, one and two. And let's be real. Look, my twelve and twelve on the season is still better than the Dolphins one and seven. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I have tied the Dolphins win count in this week by picking the Lions. That's rough. I could have doubled it if I picked the Eagles, but you know, hey. No, so yeah, I went to uh, one and two this week. I picked the uh, the Niners. That's my win, man. Bill does it again. I don't know how he keeps doing this, but I had the Chargers, and then yeah, I made the dumb mistake of putting faith in Dan Campbell. Yeah, you can't do that. Even even if I wasn't a Bears fan, I don't know that I would have picked the Niners anyway. Um, and that kind of has to do with my player to watch. We'll get there in a second. Look, I I have no faith in the Lions. I had no reason to think the Lions would win. And I went with the Titans. So I think I made good picks. And I had my best week ever for NFL picks by going with the 49ers, Titans, and Eagles. And then I also picked the Chargers. I really did think that in L.A., you know, I really like Justin Herbert. So I picked the Chargers, and what the heck? I mean, come on. It wasn't even that close, honestly. The Chargers had to come back to make it a three-point game. It's not like this was a field goal game. They were down by, like, what, 14 or 17 and had to come back to make it look respectable. This was wild. I don't know how New England was this good, but they were, and so I went 3-1 and one instead of 4-0. and oh. But... It gets me into double-digit wins, and that's all that matters. We are all in double-digit wins now. I did it, guys. <laughs> Welcome to the club. Congrats. <laughs> Tug, since uh, Doug and I both went with players from the same game, why don't you kick us off on players to watch here? Yeah, so I went with uh, Matt Stafford here playing against the uh, the Texans defense, and honestly, he met my expectations. He did fairly well coming in. Uh, it's been playing outside his mind all year and continued that in this in this game here. Uh, 21 for 32, 305 through the air, three touchdowns, zero interceptions. Like I said, that Houston secondary has seemingly been uh, quietly good. 
but hey, Matt Stafford came and showed him what a real quarterback looks like and absolutely torched him. Which one wants to go first here? Because we had guys on the opposite side of the ball. I I don't think either of our guys really did all that well. I mean, Jimmy G did okay, I guess. Why don't you talk about him? All right. So I I took Jimmy G, his second game back from injury. And like I said, his first week back kind of got a shitty draw having to play in that horrible rain out in San Francisco. I was really expecting him to have a a decent game, and he did. 17 of 28, 322, no touchdowns, no interceptions either. And he had two rushing touchdowns. His first one, maybe it was his second one. I don't know what happened. Broken play, but Jimmy G's got experience. Pretty smart dude. He knew the blocking was still going that direction, so he just took it in himself. And for that, you know, got to tip my hat to him. Great, uh, great use of your noggin there, Jimmy G. And uh, hey, bettered the Bears this week. That run game, I don't know what's happened to the Bears' defense. I've got a bone to pick with Roquan Smith, who was your player to watch. Yeah, only five tackles, one for loss. But mm, what what were you what were you about to say? What's your bone to pick? The final scoring. So the last touchdown the 49ers scored. Eliza Mitchell gets just breaks one off. Mm-hmm. Roquan Smith runs the play down. Brandon Ayuk blocking downfield. Clearly blocking. And not only does Roquan Smith go after him, he punches him in the helmet. Like, not a malicious, like, get thrown out of the game punch. Punches him in the helmet. Doesn't even go for Eliza Mitchell, who is right next to Ayuk carrying the ball. And I, I just don't. I think what happened is he didn't even expect himself to be able to catch up to that play. And then he got there and was like, ah, I'm going to attack somebody. And I picked the wrong guy. <laughs> he I, didn't, have I don't think no he was paying clue. attention to who had the ball. He was like, didn't expect to catch up, I think. But man, Roquan Smith is just, he really has been playing like the best linebacker in the NFL until this week when it was perfect conditions for him to prove that oh, he's the best linebacker in the NFL. A quarterback who hasn't been playing a rainy day where it seems like it would favor running the ball a whole lot. That's great for a linebacker. Go fill some gaps, get you some tackles, maybe some tackles for loss, maybe strip a ball or two. It's going to be wet. It's going to be nasty. He didn't do it. I don't know what happened. The Bears just kind of it was, it was a good. It was a great day. In Chicago on Sunday, the rainy day was two weeks ago for for the uh, for the 49ers. I I just uh, you can't even say the guys that they were missing on defense is why the defense looked so bad. They just looked bad. I, I there's no way to put it. There's no nice way to put it. I legit swore that I. It was raining this weekend, Chicago. I even watched part of this game. I don't know why I didn't. <laughs> anyway. That that pause left me confused if you were saying you didn't know why you thought it was raining or why you found yourself watching the game. Both. Both. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> but, man, you know that defense really just 
didn't show up when they needed to. So 49ers get themselves a much-needed win. Unfortunately for the Bears, they needed that win as well. So we'll see how the <laughs> really this NFC shapes out. It's fascinating. Outside of the top four teams, it's like anyone's NFC at this point, except for the Lions. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, it's it's pretty embarrassing to be a Lions fan right now. It's pretty embarrassing to be the Jags, too. Gosh, getting blown out by Geno Smith. Jeez. Shut. Stop hurting me. The Dolphins lost to the Jags and the Falcons in back-to-back weeks. Stop hurting me. <laughs> I'm not even trying to. You're just getting hurt by everything that happens in the NFL. Nothing I can do. Yes. <laughs> well, maybe you'll have better luck next week. No, don't say that. So that just about does it for our show. But before we go, we did want to highlight a couple of things you can look forward to later in this very week, namely bracket time. We are still counting down the greatest Heisman Trophy winner of all time. This week, we have another eight matchups for you on our Twitter at BDT Football. Make sure you go vote because this is going to be some tough decisions we're looking at Joe Burrow versus Archie Griffin the first time. Johnny Lujak up against Eddie George. Cam Newton against Charles Woodson. OJ Simpson versus Derrick Henry. Reggie Bush and RG3. Tony Dorsett versus Johnny Manziel. John Capaletti versus Frank Sinkwich. A little bit of throwback there. And Lamar Jackson versus Tom Harmon. Going to be really some tough decisions on our end. We certainly need your help on Twitter. I know we've shout out the Twitter, the Patreon, the website at various points in the show. All those links will be in the description. Are there any others that we forgot about, Tug? Like you said, they'll all be linked in the description below. Uh, we have our Patreon, patreon.com slash BDT football. Our Twitter, twitter.com slash BDT football. Facebook.com slash BDT football. Our website, bdtfootball.com, where you can find Ben's wonderful blogs every week. And then our email mailbox at bdtfootball.com. It's that Facebook and that email address that I forget to shout out during the show all the time. So make sure you check those out as well. Hey, Bug, you got any parting shots for us? Yeah, so like I said, you know, my Bears review, it went out a little bit later this week, uh, but it will be, it's out now if, as you're listening to this. I still put it out before we started recording today. And uh, I've had one about the American Athletic Conference and how they're honestly kind of winners in this conference realignment phase. That will be out, not today as you're listening, but it'll be out tomorrow on Thursday. I'll put that up before we start recording later in the week. A little outdated, so just bear with me. I'm going to try and update some of the stuff, but we'll see if that actually ends up happening. I don't know, man. It's I think the Americans actually coming out looking pretty good. Conference USA. Well, we talked about that already, right? (laughs) I do want to leave you with one fun Snapple fact this week, and that is that Napoleon Bonaparte suffered from a fear of cats. What a pussy. There oh you my go. God. There you go. Oh my God. <laughs> all right, ladies and gentlemen, that is all the time we have on the show today. Thank you for listening. And once again, 
you can't win a game. If you can't win a game.